be like they were 70 years ago or 100 years ago or something and say, you know, can it be to where schools allowed for this more? And can it be to where politics was more like this? And can it? And again, if we were just to sit back and take Scripture as it is, we ought not to be surprised because this is what it's going to be. And not that doesn't lessen the amount of light and salt that we ought to be. And while God has us here, we ought to be giving the gospel. We ought to be pointing people to Jesus Christ, proclaiming the truth. Uh, but we shouldn't be surprised that it's getting dangerous and uh, more and more difficult to live as we ought to as a Christian without some conflict. And so we're, we're just looking at this thought of how do we respond? And uh, last week we did a quick little introduction and we did a quick survey of the first two chapters because Paul starts off 2 Timothy 3 saying this, and this know also in verse number one. So he's, basically what else did he already tell Timothy to remember and to know. And so he gave Timothy, we talked about the uh, preparing him for these perilous times. We talked about his foundation, uh, the idea that his faith was his foundation and not to forget his faith, his unfeigned faith that was taught to him by his grandmother and his mother and to, and to hold on to that faith and remember that that's the core, that's the foundation. And we talked about the fundamentals of his training, the idea of the skills, God's calling in his life. That was his fundamentals. That's what God uh, that's what he ought to uh, uh, hold on to and say, this is what God's called me to do, so I'm just going to keep doing this. The focus of his training, staying steadfast, staying uh, 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 focused on what God wanted him to do, and then the finish, uh, the idea of keeping himself purged, to be a vessel that was always available uh, for God. And so he told, told him all these things. He told him a lot of other things, too, that you can read in chapters 1 and 2. And so then he comes to chapter 3, and he says, this know also. Uh, you've learned all this other stuff, Timothy. I've tried to prepare you. I've tried to give you some tools. I've tried to remind you of what your foundation is. So then know this, that in the last days, perilous times shall come. Now, again, he's writing this in a letter, so it, you know, it's safe to assume that Paul wasn't there in person talking to Timothy about this. And I would imagine that Timothy, after he got through those first couple uh, chapters, we call them chapters, then it wasn't broken out like that. It was just a letter. And he's probably thinking, oh, man, this is great. This is amazing. Paul, thanks. You're really, you're really pumping me up to go out and serve the Lord. And it's like, okay. <laughs> but here's a little pause for you. Uh, here's what you can expect to happen as you continue to preach, as you continue to be steadfast, as you continue to be a soldier for the Lord. Know this, last days, perilous times shall come. And so what we're going to do is we're going to just, again, go through this whole chapter here. There's 17 verses uh, this, this evening. We're probably only going to get through uh, the first six or seven with this thought of what is the manner of the perilous times? What is the manners or what are the mannerisms or what are the characteristics that define the perilous times? And verses 2 through um, 8 really give us an idea of what is the culture going to be like that will help us define how dangerous the culture is going to be and what perilous times shall look like. And, you know, as I've read through this several times, it's, it's again, not hard to say we're living in late days. Now, I'm not saying it's last days, you know. It could still be another 100 years. But, man, if 100 years from now is the end of time or 200 years from now, boy, I don't know what perilous times are going to look like because I think, this pretty well defines the culture that we are surrounded by on a regular basis. Um, and so we're going we're gonna to look into this. I'm going to ask for some, some help tonight. We've got quite a bit of scriptures we're going to read through. 
and just uh, teach ourselves a little bit about defining this culture. And I will say this, sometimes we read this and we say, yeah, that's the culture out there. We have to be careful that, you know, these characteristics are also part of our old flesh and part of our current flesh, our old man. And these are things that we have to be careful that we don't allow them to creep into our churches. We don't allow them to creep into our lives, uh, that, we, that we put off these former things, that we continue to say, Lord, I want to be a clean vessel. I don't want to allow these characteristics. So, again, it helps us to define them to say, ooh, is there any of this in my life that would mean that the culture is having an impact on me versus me having impact on this culture for Christ? And so as we define these Uh, We can be a little introspective and say, Lord, if there's any of this in my life, I want to confess it. I want to get rid of it. Uh, I don't want to have any resemblance to this dangerous and perilous culture uh, that is building up around us. So let's look at verses. uh, We'll just read verse number two here, and we'll read each verse as we go through some of these. It says, This know also that in the last days perilous times shall come, for men shall be lovers of their own selves. Covetous, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy. The first one there is men shall be lovers of their own selves. What word, just one word would come to mind when it says men shall be lovers of their own selves? What one word describes that? Self-centered, selfish. Yeah, that's the word that came to mind, selfish. Anybody know of selfishness? I do. I mean, I'm, I'm guilty of selfishness sometimes, a lot of times, many times. Isn't that part of our culture, though? I mean, selfishness, self-centeredness, this, this concept of what is in it for me. Men shall be lovers of their own selves. We are so caught up in what's in it for me. What is, you know, unfortunately, uh, you know, the way that we vote is about what's in it for me. Not what's best for a country, what's not honoring to God, what's not honoring to Scripture, what's not beholden to the Constitution even, it's about what's in it for me. Um, and just more and more, we, we talk about, um, I don't even remember what the statistic was, but I was reading the other day, um, talking about the amount of people that, that are just quitting their jobs. And you start looking into why do people quit their jobs, it's, it's really, man, you don't offer me enough. So I'm going to go find someone else. And if they don't offer me enough, I'll go hop to... They said that millennials on average will have handfuls of jobs in their first five years of a career. I mean, just think 20, 30 years ago, that was unheard of. People got a job and it was like, wow, I worked for a company for 15, 20 years. I mean, it was not uncommon to have loyalty and to have a dependability to an organization, but that's not common anymore. And it's, a lot of it's built around the concept well, you don't give me enough benefits, or you don't give me enough flexibility, or you don't give me enough this, you don't give me enough this. And really, that's just pervasive in our culture. What, what, what's in it for me? And it ought to be something that we, it, it, it can be at the core, at the root of really a lot of other sins, a lot of other bad habits, a lot of other conflict is the idea of, uh, of loving our own selves. And we'll look at that. Turn to James chapter 4. I'll read this one, and then we're gonna, I'll give a, out a couple other verses. But James chapter 4... James highlights for us where, where does fighting come from and strife come from. James 4, 1, he says, From whence come wars and fightings among you? Come they not hence, even of your lust that war in your members? Ye lust and have not, ye kill and desire to have and cannot obtain. Ye fight and war, yet ye have not, because ye ask not. 
what is he saying in verse number one? He's just saying, where does conflict come from? It's because you're warring within your, your members, your own lusts. No, 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 I want it my way. Well, I want it my way. So what does that create? Conflict and wars and fightings among you. Who is James talking about here? Is he talking about a worldly culture? The context of the book of James is he's talking to believers. And he's asking believers, why do you have conflicts among yourselves? Because you're selfish. And because you want your own lusts and your own desires and you war in your members amongst each other. And so he's basically saying, you know, you got to knock that off. You should have more of an attitude of asking and seeking and then expecting God to answer versus you fighting to get what you want. Can I get someone to read Judges 17.6? Judges 17.6. Ernest, all right. And then Philippians 2.21. Brother Steve. Let's just read a couple verses here, this idea of lovers of their own selves. Yep, you're good. Yeah, that became a problem for Israel. <laughs> that became a problem for Israel. Everyone did that which was right in their own eyes. And go ahead and study Israel from that point until God finally said, okay, I'm going to start giving you a king. You know, I'm going to start having to deliver all these different people and, 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 and harsh treatments and, and just bad things happen. And hey, when there was no order, when everybody was kind of left to themselves, they all just did that which pleased themselves. And again, that's just kind of the day and age we live in now. Everybody just goes and does what pleases them? Philippians 2.21. For all seek their own, not the things which are in Jesus Christ. Yeah, the context of that, I could have had you read a couple more verses, but Paul's talking to Timothy even there in that letter, and he's talking about how, uh, you know, Timothy, do what's right, and, and you ought to, you ought to uh, uh, do what's required of you because most people are out there seeking their own. They're not seeking the things of Christ. And again, I think that's a, 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 a picture of, of the culture that, that Paul is telling Timothy in 2 Timothy, and it's a reflection of the culture that we live in. Selfishness. People consumed with their own needs, wants, and desires. The second one here. <clears throat> Got to get back here. One more page. Uh, For men shall be lovers of their own selves, covetous. Covetous. The thought of covet, uh, covetousness is greedy. Love of material and money. Uh, someone read Colossians 3.5. Who would read Colossians 3.5? All right, Brother Derek, Colossians 3.5. Let me give out a couple more. 1 Corinthians 5.10. Brother Matt, Ephesians 5.5. 5. Brother Dylan, all right. Let's just read these three here. Colossians 3.5. Boy, that's a pretty uh, drastic comparison. Covetousness, which is idolatry. The idea of idolatry is just simply there's something that you're seeking after that's got much more value than God. And again, I don't think you have to go very far to see that that's a, that's a description of the culture that's around us. Uh, the various things that people will seek after. Again, material things, uh, finances, relationships. Uh, again, you can get into politics and education and intellectualism, all these different things that people 
are so busy seeking after and they just covet it. I got to have that. I got to have more of that and more of that. And it leads, it, it is basically idolatry. And um, again, as Christians, we got to be careful that, that we don't put things before God as we, as, uh, with what we're seeking. Uh, 1 Corinthians 5.10. Oh, yeah, yeah, you got it. I wrote unto you in an epistle not to company with fornicators, yet not altogether with the fornicators of this world, or with the covetous, or extortioners, or with idolaters. For then must he needs go unto the world. Yeah, what is Paul saying? He's having to tell a church, this is, we know that Corinth was called the carnal church. They were still believers, but man, they, they had some problems of allowing just some wicked things to come into their church, and one of them was covetousness. And Paul had to specifically call them out on covetousness within the church. You in the church are willing to put other things and, and seek after other things as gain and as, as, as your priority over the things of God in the church. Ephesians 5.5. 5. Yeah. There again, he's just equating the idea of covetousness with being an idolater. Uh, being someone that has given um, preeminence, given uh, priority to something other um, than God Himself. Uh, we could read the verses in Matthew chapter 24 of serving other masters. No man can serve two masters, right? You'll either hate the one and love the other or serve the one and forsake the other. You can't serve God and mammon. Jesus Himself was teaching you're only going to have one master in your life. So who's your master? And you can read uh, quite a bit of other verses. Uh, Hebrews 13, 5, 1 Timothy 6, 10. And we could give a lot more scriptures that just have an idea of this covetous, kind of greedy, uh, idolatrous mindset that, that Paul is telling Timothy, this is what the culture is going to look like in these dangerous times. Uh, You've got to be prepared for that. You've got to be able to... Uh, 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 discern that. You've got to be able to uh, 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 see that. Uh, but also, I think in some ways, he's calling these things out that these are things that we need to abstain from and, uh, and avoid these types of things as well. Uh, the third thing he says here, for men shall be lovers of their own selves, covetous, boasters. Boasters. <laughs> uh, I love uh, when we were in high school, we'd go down to Freestone Park, which is just up uh, Lindsay here, uh, before you get to, to Guadalupe. And we'd go down on Sunday nights, sometimes on Thursday nights, and we'd play pickup basketball. So it'd be uh, Phil Roy, uh, myself, uh, uh, my brother Wesley, sometimes John Roy would go, maybe even a couple other of the Roy boys. Uh, Pastor Mike and Dave even went right at their latter end of high school. I was just getting into junior high, so I didn't really get to play with them at that time. But we'd go down there, and man, all you would hear is these guys talking trash. There was this guy named J.J., and, uh, like, you'd go down there, and, and you knew once you got out of the car if J.J. was on the court because all you could hear was this one voice. It was like, oh, you got me, man. What do you got? Uh, you know, he's just, like, just talking and talking and talking. Oh, in your face, in your face. We used to say, like, in your eye, like when we made a basket, like, on someone, like, if they were guarding you and you made it, you'd say, in your eye. I don't know what you guys say these days. I think you guys just stare them down or something. It's just not as cool. Like, we said cool, we said, we said cool stuff. <clears throat> But you know what? It was, it, that's the idea of boasting, is the idea of outward projection 
uh, of, of your own uh, accolades, your own uh, proclamation, your own value, your own accomplishments. It's the outward uh, expression of that. Uh, one definition of a boaster is that they're an empty pretender. It's just someone that on the outward is just constantly uh, uh, giving credit to themselves, talking themselves up, and inside it's really empty. There's, there's, it's, there's nothing supporting it. They just want to make sure they say it. Sometimes when my kids are playing video games at home and stuff, it's, it's just funny to listen to um, even my youngest right now. Uh, she's starting to play little, little games on the Wii, like bowling or something. We'll play a couple games with her, and she'll, she'll get, like, a strike, and she's like, oh, yeah, you know, like, getting all excited, and she'll, like, look at her, one of her older brothers. Yeah, I did better than you, and she gets, I'm like, man, it doesn't take much to get to be a boaster. It's all around us. But, again, I, you know, I thought about, uh, you know, as you think through these, it's just, it seems like every day you just read more and more about, a boastful mindset of, um, well, this was my accomplishment, and I get credit for this, and why are you taking credit for what I did? No, no, this is me. And, and it's just this idea of bragging and, and uh, uh, boasting about accomplishments and proclaiming our own self-worth. Uh, let's read a few verses here. Uh, Galatians 5.26. Anybody want to read Galatians 5.26? All right, Adam. James 4.16. Christopher, all right. Uh, Proverbs 27, 2. Brother Henry, all right. Let's just do those, those few right there. Galatians 5, 26. Yeah, the idea of vain glory, desirous of vain glory, is the idea of that I want empty praise. I'm just looking for people to give me praise and accolades that I, I don't really deserve. Or even if I deserve them, it's now empty because I'm begging for them. And I'm asking for them. And I'm, in a way, boasting of myself to try to get those accolades. It's, like, it's, it's really similar to what Christ said to the Pharisees, right? When they'd get out and publicly pray. And he'd say, well, you have your reward then. So what you would have gained maybe by accomplishing this, well, now you just got it. It's just empty. It's vain. Just because you're out there wanting to seek it. And, it, and really, he links it in that verse to even the idea of envying. Well, why do people want vain glory? Well, maybe because, you know, I'm envying or I'm, I'm looking at what someone else gets for credit. No, 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 they can't have that alone. I've got to have it too. So now I want this empty proclamation of my own value. And it's, uh, Paul is saying, avoid that. James 4.16. Yeah, again, you could read more context there, but James is just saying, uh, you rejoice in your boastings, and all such rejoicing is evil. And again, he's talking to Christians there in the book of James. He's talking to believers. And so there is a tendency, even though we would say, no, Paul is saying that this is defining the perilous times. It is still something that within a believer we ought to be mindful of and say, oh, do I have a boastful uh, attitude? Do I have a boastful uh, uh, mindset? Proverbs 27.2. Let's read that one as well, Brother Henry. Yeah, let another man praise thee. Again, just it's a simple proverb, which is the idea of avoid self-praise. Avoid boasting and, and giving yourself a, 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 this outward proclamation of this value for yourself. Avoid doing that. Let another man praise thee. And that's why it is good, I think, to praise other people. 
I think it is good to find a compliment to give to people or when someone does a good job in something, hey, give them some praise for that. The Bible doesn't say it's wrong to give people credit for doing something. In fact, what, what Solomon is basically implying is that's where it should come from. And so it's good for us to praise one another. Why? Because otherwise the tendency is that I'm going to then go praise myself. I'm going to seek to praise myself. So it is good. It's a good pattern as parents. I know I'm not good at enough at it where my kids will do something and a I should give them a little bit of praise, say, hey, great job taking initiative on that, or great job completing that task, or great job doing this, or great job obeying. Hey, once this week, that's great, you know. <laughs> I'm kidding. So, you know, but we ought to, we ought to be in the business of trying to uh, praise or compliment. The idea of praise isn't like you praise the Lord. It's a, a praise of, of complimenting uh, those around us. Um, Ephesians 2, 8, and 9 basically says, For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should what? Boast. If it's something I can boast in and have a self-proclamation, it is empty. It is not of grace. It is not of God. It is not salvation. And so even Paul had to, had to call that out, that, look, people want to walk around and boast about, look at all the things I do. Look, that is not salvation. That is not going to get you eternal life. If it's anything that you think you can boast of, then that is not of the Lord. The, the complete opposite is where salvation comes in. That is a complete humility. That is a complete forsaking of anything I can do because I can only trust in Him and accept His grace to be saved. And so again, the idea of boasting, being a bragger. The, the fourth one there is proud. And you, can, you could probably say that these are, they're relatable, but he calls them out separately because one is outward, one is inward. When someone is uh, arrogant outwardly, you would call them a boaster, someone that outwardly expresses their own value and goodness. Someone that is proud is really, it, it, just in the state of being proud, is inward. They're inwardly are self-proclaiming. They're inwardly saying, yeah, I'm doing this, or this is of me. This is my ability. This is, this is what I am able to do. Instead of obviously being humble and giving the, the praise and the glory and due credit to the Lord. A proud person is someone that has an inordinate self-esteem. They have a high-minded view of themselves internally. And then obviously when it goes outward, you become a boaster. So they're, they're hand in hand, of the, the same thought. But Again, the idea is that sometimes we can say, oh, I'm fine, I don't walk around bragging about myself, but do you think of yourself in light of being of value, of being of, of more than what you ought to think of yourself? Uh, then you're really doing the same thing. James 4, 6 says, God resisteth the proud, but giveth grace to the humble. The word resist, I've, pastors preach this, other people have preached this, but the idea of resist is not that just God sees you in your pride and just says, Nah, I don't really like that. The idea of resist is actually a pushing away of. And I don't know about you, but I don't really like the thought that God would have to look at me and see pride and then say, fine, I'm going to actually push away from this relationship and this fellowship. I'm going to actually push you away until you're willing to humble yourself and then fine, I'll draw you nigh to me. I'll bring you in close. But if not, he's resisting against me. I don't want to have that. <clears throat> And there's many other verses we could look at on pride. The book of Proverbs, we studied many of them in our Sunday school series. But the idea of just being proud, thinking of ourselves more highly than we ought to think. Again, does that describe our day and age today? It does. And more and more. Blasphemers, number five. 
Being a blasphemer, what comes to mind when you think of blasphemy? Cursing, Lord's name in vain. Yeah, yeah. Speaking evil. The word literally just means speaking evil, slander, or abusive. So, I mean, you can blaspheme other people. We think of it really more directed towards the Lord and towards God, saying God's name in vain, uh, 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 you know, treating uh, like the Word of God or even the house of God or the things of God just flippantly. We'd call that maybe sacrilegious or even sometimes blasphemous. But really, blasphemy is something that can be done against anybody. I can blaspheme the name of anybody because I can speak slander. I can speak abusively. I can speak evil of someone else. And again, it is hard to turn on uh, a talk radio. It's hard to turn on a news channel. It's hard to read an article. It's hard to really go real far without someone needing to tear someone else down, needing to, to, to slander someone's name, to speak evil of someone. You very rarely see people saying good of, of, of other people. It's becoming more and more common to speak evil of people. And boy, we got to be careful that that is not what the church becomes, that the church is one where we encourage and we edify and we uplift others. You can read over and over again Paul talking about edification and, and the building up of the people within the church. That's what we ought to do, not tear down and slander and speak evil. Um, Luke chapter 12, uh, let me just read this for you here real quick, and we won't dig into the full, full thought of this. I'll just give you a quick overview. It says this, Whosoever shall speak a word against the Son of Man, it shall be forgiven him. But unto him that blasphemeth against the Holy Ghost, it shall not be forgiven. And, uh, you know, there's this thought of what's the unforgivable sin? When he's saying blaspheme the Holy Spirit, really what he's saying is, you know, you can look at Jesus Christ and, uh, and, and you could... You could blaspheme Jesus Christ. What he's saying is you could blaspheme the Son of Man, and it can be forgiven you. You could say, I don't know who Jesus Christ is, but as you learn and, you, and then you say, oh, actually, no, I do accept who Jesus is. Oh, he'll forgive you of that. But what's not forgivable is if I reject the Holy Spirit. Why? Because I have to accept the Holy Spirit in order to be saved. I cannot be saved and still blaspheme the name of the Holy Spirit and say and speak evil, slander, or speak against the Holy Spirit and yet claim to be saved. I cannot. And that's what he's basically saying. Jesus is saying the unforgivable sin is to reject the Holy Spirit. If you reject the Holy Spirit, it's impossible to be saved because you're going to be indwelt by the Holy Spirit because it's the Holy Spirit that guides you into all truth. It's the Holy Spirit that convicts us and brings us to Jesus Christ. It's the Holy Spirit that does that. And so if we were to slander and blaspheme the Holy Spirit, then it, there's, it's unforgivable. I mean, what else? You can't be saved if you're going to blaspheme the Holy Spirit. And that's really what he's getting to, uh, not just speaking evil of the things of God, but really basically rejecting and saying, no, I'm not going to accept uh, the Holy Spirit and what the Holy Spirit is leading. So anyways, it's blasphemers, speaking evil, slander, abusive, um, blasphemy is related to really the, the unforgivable sin. And so it's a very dangerous thing to blaspheme uh, the things of God and specifically the Holy Spirit. Disobedient to parents, number six. And man, we could spend a lot of time on what the culture is like these days of just young people and parenting 
and just, uh, you know, what's going on within our school system, what's going on within just really anything. I mean, it's just, it, it's, it, it's really hard to uh, avoid thinking of, um, I see these things all the time where people put up, do you remember growing up in a time when you said yes, ma'am, and yes, sir? Do you remember a time when you grew up and your parents told you to do something and you did it? Remember when you grew up and you didn't do something, your parents swatted you? Do you remember growing, and they do all these things, and they're like, yeah, I don't remember that. And what I want to say is, didn't you raise some kids? <laughs> so your kids didn't do what you did when you were growing up? Like, you raised some kids too. How come you didn't do those things then? And the reality is, is that, you know, our, our culture is pushing more and more to give kids respect above the parents and give kids their wishes. And so kids now, uh, it, it's not uncommon to be disobedient to parents. Just go to any store within a matter of minutes and you'll see it prevalent. Uh, those of you that are teachers, my mom tells me about some of these kids and what they do at school and stuff, and they're just disregard for authority, disregard for parents. It's just, it's, it's, it's unbelievable. Um, I'll read this for you, Proverbs chapter 30. You can follow along if you want, otherwise I'll just read it here real quick. But Proverbs 30, Solomon here is talking about... <clears throat> or actually, sorry, Agur uh, is, is talking here, um, verses 11 through 14, he says this, There is a generation that curseth their father and doth not bless their mother. There is a generation that are pure in their own eyes and yet is not washed from their filthiness. There's a generation of how lofty are their eyes, their eyelids are lifted up. There is a generation whose teeth are as swords and their jaw teeth as knives to devour the poor from off the earth and the needy from among men. Agar is talking about a generation, and perhaps it's the generation he is seeing. But what was the first thing? It's a generation that curseth their father and doth not bless their mother. And again, I think you don't have to go very far to recognize that that is happening in our culture around us. And, and even as, as Christians, sometimes we can get caught up in this, well, I don't want to, you know, I don't want to go against what, uh, you know, People are telling me how to raise my kids. Sometimes we can get into all these different parenting tips a lot of people give or, or well, I just want to give my kids their space and um, give them their privacy and stuff. I, I was telling pastor a few weeks ago, I said, my kids don't have privacy. And I'm not saying on a basic level. I'm saying my kids have no right in my house to sit on a computer wherever they want and however they want forever as long as they want without any attention from their parents they just don't and I don't care how old they are you live in my house that's how it's going to be you know same with the phone same with this same with that hey you don't you don't deserve anything and if you, you want to disobey with it then I can take it and I will and I'll burn it right in front of you I'll break it I haven't done anything like that yet they haven't gotten me to that point so, but what I'm saying is you know the, the kids the kids the, he's talking about a generation he's talking about a time when, when the young people are going to be the ones that get to get respect and get to make decisions and get to live how they want instead of the parents being in charge, instead of the parents having the respect, and instead of the parents being obeyed. No, he's talking about a culture. It's going to be prevalent. It's going to be dangerous times, and people are going to be more and more disobedient to their parents. <clears throat> he says, unthankful. Unthankful, unholy, the last two there in verse number two. The idea of unthankful. Um, Romans chapter one, when he talks about the degradation of society, 
He said the, one of the very first things he says is they glorified God not as God, neither were they thankful. And then you can just see the, the, the slope of getting into all these horrible sins, uh, into homosexuality and all sorts of other things that Romans chapter 1, Paul gets into all that. But what was at the very beginning? Unthankful. Unthankful. And, and Paul is basically saying that at the, really at one of the roots, if you look at the roots of sin, you can look at pride, selfishness, you know, a lot of these other things, but really at the root uh, that you hear quite often is just being ungrateful, unthankful. Paul tells us, in everything give thanks, in 1 Thessalonians 5.18. We, we ought to be people that give thanks not complain. Uh, just read, uh, I was looking in the book of Numbers, chapter 14, and God is just judging because they continue to what? Murmur. The idea of complain. Israel just really had a hard time ever being thankful. Okay, God, you delivered us. They'd give a little bit of thanks, and then within moments, they're back to murmuring because it just wasn't good enough. It didn't last long enough. The food didn't taste good enough. They didn't have enough of it. They didn't have enough... A comfort. They didn't have enough of a place to live. They didn't have enough of whatever it was. They just murmured and murmured and murmured. And it didn't bring good things for them. But that's going to be, again, a depiction of what these perilous times will be. Unholy. The idea of unholy or just plain wicked. It is, again, it's, it's, it's crazy to see the type of wickedness that exists now. And just the types of things that people will just blatantly do. I won't get into a bunch of, a bunch of stories. I, I, I could tell you probably three or four news stories in just the last couple weeks that caught my attention. I thought, uh, in fact, one of the descriptions later is the idea of fierce, not tame, rage. I mean, think about uh, this, this little boy in California got shot on the freeway because of road rage. Just someone shooting into this car and kills this young boy. Um, I was uh, just caught on the news the other night. This, this lady's at a gas pump, just pumping gas, minding her own business. And this guy gets out of his vehicle, slowly just walks around the back end and just begins to pummel on her, drops her to the ground. She's beaten all up. And he walks right back around, gets in his vehicle, drives off, doesn't peel out, doesn't look like he stole anything, just took off. I'm thinking, wow, just fierce, unholy, just wicked, evil things going on. That's what Paul is describing to, to Timothy. I don't know to what extreme Timothy saw this kind of stuff, but it's hard not to look around us today and say, Paul, you are writing to us. I mean, this is what the times look like for us. And it can be scary, it can be sad, but it also ought to be, okay, Lord, how do I then respond? How do I live in this time? How do I deal with these type of people? How do I have discretion and wisdom, but then proclaim the gospel, right? Because that's what we're still here to do. We've got a few more we'll go over next week. 